Psalm 103, beginning in verse number 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, and do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, O ye his host, his, ye his minister of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me begin, first off, on this Father's Day by apologizing to the mothers. Last month, we had Missions Month, and it kind of overshadowed your day a little bit, and plan on having Missions Month again because I enjoyed it so much, but I'm going to try to do it on a different month so we don't do that again. So just to let you know, we'll try to pick one with, you know, less important holidays, you know, Groundhog Day doesn't matter if you have missions on that day, you know, things like that. We'll, we'll figure out a little bit better month to do that on next month. Have you ever stopped and thought about how hard it is to properly describe God? who he is, and what he does. I heard someone say once that when we describe God, we, we often have to use negative statements. Uh, I'll explain. Take, for instance, eternity. Our human brain cannot understand eternity. I have trouble keeping up with the days of the week and the time of the day, let alone that there is a boundless time, no beginning, no ending. So when we say that God is eternal, we often say, well, he has no beginning, he has no ending. We can take something that we understand and say, he's not like that. It's like that, but it's not like that. So he exists, but he has no beginning, no ending. So he's not like us, he's eternal. When we speak of God's omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience, we often say he's limitless, that, that, that he has no boundaries to his presence, to his power, to his knowledge. Why? Because all those things to us are limited, yet with him they are not. 
Our mortal minds simply cannot understand the vastness and grandeur of who God is. It's similar to when we, dis- when we speak about what, Christ- uh, what God does. We will speak of God's care for us. And we'll, we're, we're used to people caring for us, but only for a short period of time or with uh, limited resources. So we may say that God's care will not end, it will not fail. Those are negative statements because that's what we're used to. We're used to care ending. We're used to care failing. You may not realize it, but so often when we describe God, we say, you know that thing? It's like that, but it's not like that. That's, that's just the way we, we tend to describe God. Similarly, to comprehend God, we turn to metaphors, to similes. They say God is like something. Deuteronomy 4.24 says that God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's not literally a fire, but that describes his character. It uh, describes uh, the the heart of God. And it it helps us to understand the importance of obeying and worshiping him on his terms. Malachi 3.2 says that God is like, see I got similes and metaphors there. So he's like a refiner's fire. He's like fuller's soap. It's a simile. We help understand his purpose. He's not literally fire or soap, but the uh, the word picture helps us to understand that God works through trials and judgments to purify us, to cleanse us. In verse 13 of our text, we find one of those comparisons that help us understand who God is, what he does. Verse 13 of Psalm 103, like as a father, pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. By the way, that's not an isolated comparison in the Old Testament. I've seen some people say that, oh, well, God the Father doesn't come in until the New Testament. Oh, you haven't read your Bible. Deuteronomy 32.6 asks, is not he thy father? Proverbs 3.12 says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Isaiah 63.16 says, Doubtless thou art our father. And also it says, O Lord, art our father. Uh, Isaiah 64.8 says, O Lord, thou art our father. Jeremiah 3.19 says, Thou shalt call me uh, my father. Jeremiah 31.9 says, for I, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Malachi 1.6 says, If I then be a father, where is mine honor? Malachi 2.10 says, Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? We could go on, not just talking about where it says he's a father, or comparing him to a father, but also how many times he talk about people being his children. Exodus 4, 22 and 23, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I said unto them, Let my son go, that he may serve me. Deuteronomy 14, 1 says, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Hosea 1, 10 says, Ye are the sons of the living God. And I could go on and on, but it's outside the scope. I just want you to know, this is one of the primary expressions of who God is, that God is like a father. The point is clear. If you want a glimpse of who God is, of what he does, look at a father. A father is a giver of life. Basic biology testifies to this. So God is the uh, giver of life, physical and spiritual. A father is a provider. He works. He provides for his family. So God supplies 
our needs abundantly. A father is a protector. He defends his family. So God watches over us. A father is an authority. He leads, he guides his family. So God commands and leads us. A father is a nurturer. He develops, he guides his children into adulthood and beyond. So God tenderly guides us to grow in his grace. The difference between uh, the, the heavenly father and the earthly father is primarily that the earthly is a pale shadow of the heavenly. We earthly fathers will fail. God will not. We earthly fathers may do harm. God will not. We, we earthly fathers, we may abandon or we, we may pass from the scene, but God will not. You know, there's two ways to be a father here on earth. Some are fathers because their DNA is in a child. Some are fathers because they stepped up to fill the void to be a father. But the Bible gives us four reasons why God is the father. First, he's the father through creation. He gave life. He created all. Second, he's the father through intimate relationship to us. Third, he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And fourth, he is the father of all who believe in Christ. He's a fourfold father. We could go on. It's such a fundamental truth of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, that God is our father. We are his children. Now, before we get too much into this, I'm going to go ahead and get part of the invitation work already over with. You need to be a twice-born child of God. You need to be twice-born. We need the physical birth, but then there's a second. There's a spiritual birth to truly be a child of God. Christ said you must be born again. That's important. But back to our text, Psalm 103. It's a wonderful hymn of praise to God the Father. It's written by King David. It divides into four sections based on... Uh, uh, the shifts in focus. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, the, section one is an inward focus on the psalmist. David's kind of talking to himself. Section two is a national or historical focus. He's talking about Moses and Israel. It's kind of a history lesson in some ways. Section three, verses 15 through 18, is a, is a focus on mankind. It's a, a general focus. And then in section four, verses 19 through 22, it's a heavenward focus of praising God. Now I want to examine all four of these sections here quickly this morning in light of God being the Father. So first off, I want to see in that first section, verses 1 through 5, I want us to see the personal Father. And so David is speaking to himself here in these. There's, uh, there's first person, there's actually second person in here, because he, he, what he does is he starts off here. He says, Oh my soul, all that was within me, Bless his holy name. But then he says, Bless, uh, he says, Forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to himself. Sometimes you need the expert advice. You have to talk to yourself. He's talking to himself here. He encourages himself to bless the Lord. The word there, uh, when you talk about blessing the Lord, it literally means to adore with bended knee. I am bowing the knee before my God, praising and worshiping him. By the way, the two primary requirements of worship are here. The exaltation of God and the humiliation of the worshiper. Both of them are there in this. What's the source of praise? Well, it's an inventory of the blessings of God. He says, forget not his benefits. Sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of 
how good God is to us. Counting your blessings, by the way, I thought about this, is kind of like counting sheep. When you count sheep, when you're trying to go to sleep, eventually you stop counting and you're asleep. You just you don't even realize it. But let me tell you something, when you start counting your blessings, you don't go to sleep, you start praising Him. and Pretty soon you forget counting because you just kind of get a little excited there and you start praising and worshiping our God. What has God done? Well, He's forgiven our sins. He cleansed us from all unrighteousness. He has saved our souls, our lives from the destruction that sin brings. That's a, the, the word there um, where it talks about, i got to find the, find the verse here. He, uh, verse 4, He redeemeth thy life from destruction. The word destruction there means a pit and it could be an allusion to hell or allusion to the grave. So said, I've saved me from the lowest uh, spot on earth. You've brought me out. Um, so he saved our souls from the destruction that sin brings. By the way, the wages of sin is death. We understand that. We often talk about that with the gospel, that those who, whose sins are not forgiven, who are not placed under the blood of Christ, there's a payment they must pay, a death penalty on sin. But let me also say, I think there's another application of that, and that is the poison of sin. Sin is deadly. It may not kill you, but it is deadly. In fact, it surprised me. You trace many sinful forms of lifestyle or very sinful things, and it's funny how many of those end up in death. You just follow that out. But not only that, he continues on, he adorns us. He provides for us with the limitless resources of his grace. He gives life and strength and power when we humanly cannot go on. I, I like that in there where it talks about he says, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And David may be an old guy right here. He's like, whoo, I got my second wind. I'm going to keep going. Reminds me of Isaiah. They mount up with wings as eagles. I know David wrote this to himself, but every child of God ought to be able to say the same thing about our Father, that He is good to us personally. He does not just love. He loves us personally. He's not just good. He's good to us personally. We need to know that and experience that. It's good to remind ourselves sometimes, just like David had to, hey, oh yeah, God's good. We have to remind ourselves. We forget. We need to reorient ourselves from focusing on our problems, our failures, our, our own frailties to realize He's good. He's in control. He loves me. He wants what's best for me. We need to remind ourselves He is a personal Father. The second section I want us to see is that He is a patient Father. A patient Father. Verses 6-14. through 14. The foundation for this section, it's the lengthiest here in the psalm, but the foundation of it is the interaction between God and Israel during the Exodus and the wilderness journey. God revealed Himself to Israel during those times in some very profound ways. His power was on display. The plagues of Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea. By the way, when God brags in the Old Testament, He goes back to the Red Sea crossing. He goes back to, I brought Israel out with a strong arm. That's His bragging point in the Old Testament. His care was on display with the manna He provided with the water from the rock that He provided. His character's on display 
in the law, the regulations that he gave them, telling them this is how you will live, this is how you will worship. It's an expression of his character. But what was the response of those that saw and heard, experienced these things? Well, first off, they complained along the way. Exodus 16, verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. My goodness, you were slaves. You saw what God did parting the Red Sea. You saw what God did, the, 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 the frogs and the, 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 the hail and everything else there in Egypt. And you get out there and say, I mean, I wish I was still a slave. Just griping, complaining uh, about, about things. Uh, secondly, so they even rebelled. They, just, they didn't just complain. They flat out rebelled against the God who brought them out of Egypt they get to the border of Canaan land, they send in the spies, and they say, mm, God, no, I, I don't think we can do this after all. Numbers 14, beginning verse 2, the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said, and would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain, let us return to Egypt. So let's just go back into slavery. Forget everything God did. Forget the manna, forget the provision, forget the miracles. Oh, God, we can't do this. Let's go on. You know, I often think about those guys and the, the nation of Israel. And we, we, you ever joke about somebody, you said, we'll, we'll kill them and tell God that they died? Uh, I think if Moses had left or God had left the children of Israel to rot in the wilderness, I think we could all stand back and say, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I, I can understand why you did that, the way they treated God, the way that they, they, they complained, the way that they rebelled against him. But let me remind you, don't we do the same thing? It's a display of human nature. We gripe, we complain, we rebel against God's commands. We lack the faith to trust in Him to take us on into where He wants us to go. But praise God for the truth of His mercy and His grace. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not chide always, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgression from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. Aren't you glad that God's a God of mercy? We don't get what we truly deserve. Aren't you glad for God's grace? We get the blessings we really don't deserve. God's a good God in spite of us. He's a patient God. Third thing I want us to see is the persistent Father. The persistent Father, verses 15 through 18. The theme of the Father was established in verse 13. And then verse 14 is entries. We're transitioning kind of into this, this third section. God acknowledges 
our mortal state. He understands at our best we're human. And those are the foundations for this third section. I think there's two scales that are shown here. One is a scale of time that's the limited lifespan of man. Go to a graveyard, look at the tombstone, and there's that, they say that little dash, that's your life in between two dates. James described uh, life being like a vapor, like go out on a cold morning and that that fog that comes out when you breathe and then it just disappears. Uh, That it's like that. It's a fleeting existence. There's that brief little scale. But then there's a limitless scale, the eternity of God. Somebody said, well, how do you describe eternity? Well, there's no beginning, there's no ending in, in Brother Jackson used to say this. Remember, I'm using this illustration growing up. But said that if you had a sparrow and it took one little grain of sand from North America, flew across the Atlantic Ocean, and deposited that one grain of sand in Europe, flew back across the Atlantic Ocean, picked up one grain of sand, flew back across the Atlantic Ocean, deposited it, flew back, and continued back and forth one grain of sand at a time till the entirety of North America had been moved to Europe. How long would that take? I can't even calculate that. But that would just be a blink of an eye to eternity. Now think about this. On which scale does God choose to love us? Does He choose to love us on the little scale? of our brief existence are on that limitless scale of eternity. Verse 17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. It's not just the pile of the years of our lives that He loves and cares for us, but it's a heap of eternities piled up, limitless upon limitless upon limitless. Our relationships in this world, they come and go. I've got people I hadn't seen, you know, I was friends with in school or worked with I, I hadn't seen in years. You know, just for that brief time, we, we may have been close. Brief time, we may have had a relationship. But those things come and go. But God's love towards us will never dwindle, will never cease. It is eternal But we must also note that there is a particular object of His love, and that's there in verse number 18. When you talk about this mercy and His love towards His children, it says to such, there's an object here, to such as keep His covenant and to those who remember His commandments to do them. The limitless love of God is fully expressed to those who love and obey Him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He loved, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the full aspect of His love. What a fool we would be to not respond to God's everlasting love. Then the fourth section, beginning of verse number 19, we see the praiseworthy Father, the praiseworthy Father. The last four verses here are a crescendo of praise and glory to our Father. The power of His authority is highlighted in verse number 19. 
when it says that God hath prepared his throne in the heavens, his kingdom ruleth over all. We've talked about this more in Sunday school, going through Revelation. Boy, the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, they're doing their thing here on earth. But does that bother God? You think God's challenged? No, his will will be done. He will be victorious. Verses 20 through 21. Uh, it's a very interesting. David is calling on the hosts of angels in here. He said, not just us, all the angels. He's, he's appealing to beings greater than us. All of you, you need to join in and praise God. By the way, that's a funny thing about praise. It usually starts personally. It starts within our hearts. But it kind of spreads. It's kind of like a bad attitude. It's contagious. It we want. We don't want to be alone. We want to get somebody else excited. When God does something for us, we get excited. I want to get somebody else excited. I've been telling people uh, ever since Thursday, going down there, to, uh, the Preacher's Fellowship down there at Brother Griffin's at Homeless No More Baptist Church, I've been telling everybody, man, what a time that was. I've been telling people about how good that was to see those folks and interact with them. I told the people in Sunday school where I got there early and we're sitting there uh, Brother Farron was there, and uh, Brother Wiggins and a few of us were, were, were sitting there uh, just talking before it all started. Side door opens, and, and a guy walks in. This black guy comes in, and he goes, oh, man, y'all got suits on. I don't even have a shirt. And he turn around and walk out. Brother Kirk, oh, you get back in here. He said, I got a shirt. So they go in there. He, he gets in their stuff. And, man, that guy, he stays the whole time. Actually, he, he sat like uh, two down for me when we were uh, eating lunch. Uh, just little things like that. I've been telling everybody about man, how exciting it was to see God working in these hearts and these lives of these people. Uh, just just amazing. The guy sat across from me there when we were eating breakfast that uh, was homeless. Now he's taking college classes. I mean, just amazing, amazing. Uh, a lady just wa- wandered in, saw all the cars came in. She got saved stayed uh, for, for the rest of the service. Amazing things. I'm like, I want people to get excited. I was excited. I want to spread that. I think that's kind of what you see there in those verses, uh, in verses 20 and 21 and 22, uh, is he's calling on the angels. He's calling on creation. He's calling for everybody. Hey, everybody, join in. Let's praise our God together. I thought of an old hymn, and it's not one. Uh, we would typically sing, maybe you're, you're familiar with it. It's actually a very old hymn. It's been translated into English. But it says, All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, thou rushing wind, thou art so strong, uh, ye clouds that sail in heaven along, thou rising morn and praise rejoice, ye lights of heaven find a voice. And all ye men of tender heart, forgiving others, take your part. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God on him, cast your care. Let all things their creator bless, and worship him in humbleness. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit. Three in one, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I ask you, is God worthy of our praises? Is He good to us? Is there anybody like Him? Then we need to heed the closing words of this psalm. That constant reminder to ourselves, bless the Lord, O my soul. Remind ourselves, we need to praise Him. We need to thank Him. We need to glorify His name for all that He has done. As musicians come this morning, 
four quick statements. First off, to our earthly fathers here today, remember that you are a reflection of God. Let our lives and love be an example as God's love expressed towards us. That's our standard. We need to be like that. It's a high standard. To those whose earthly fathers have failed you, makes these days hard, I know. Too often men fail. Their selfishness, their sin take over. But know this, no, no matter what men may fail you, you have a heavenly Father who will never fail you never hurt you. To those who are blessed with good fathers, I count myself in that group. Thank God for them. If they're still among us, give them the love and honor they are due. Not just on this day, but with every breath you take. And fourth, if you do not know our Heavenly Father, He loves you like no one else could. We talk about a parent's love and the, that it's the purest love and, and, and all these things like that, but that's, that's, that's just a drop in the ocean compared to the love of God towards us. And right now, God's angry. God hates. God loves sinners enough that His Son died. We get the picture. I call it the whack-a-mole God. He, everybody thinks he's, he's up there. He's just waiting to whack somebody when they, when they do something wrong. Uh, listen, God is just. I get that. But let me tell you the picture we have from the New Testament of God the Father is when that son went off, spent all the money in a foreign land, wasted his inheritance, and he came back home. Who was waiting? The Father. Who saw him coming? The Father. Who killed the fatted calf and got the robe and the ring and all that stuff? It was the Father. I'm convinced right now that we have a loving Heavenly Father who's anxious. I think He's sitting on the edge of His throne looking down saying, who's going to come to me? Who will come? Who will come? I'm looking forward. I want that one to come back to me. Our Heavenly Father loves us. He's waiting with open arms to receive all that will come to Him, whether that's for that first time of salvation or whether that's I've got off in sin and I've done things, He's still waiting for us. He is a loving Heavenly Father beyond all imagination, beyond all comparison. My, what a Heavenly Father we have. Olin, what number there? 308. If you'd like to sing along with the invitation song, if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my, how good You are to us. Any way we try to describe it, any way we try to picture it, any application, You are so beyond any comparison that we can do. Your love for us as a Father and caring for us and guiding us and even correcting us. Lord, how good You are to us. Don't let us forget that. Let us continually remind ourselves through Your goodness that we need to glorify Your name. Lord, on this day, we dedicate to our fathers among us that we, Lord, celebrate that gift that You've given to us. We celebrate the, 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 the men who have stepped in, who have, have done so well providing for families and, and raising 
raising their families, Lord. Let us give them the honor that they are truly due as even You commanded in the Ten Commandments. Lord, I want us to not forget our good Heavenly Father that we have. And Lord, if there's someone watching or listening online or something that comes across this, I pray that if they do not know that You are their personal Father, the Father who forgives sins, that they would come come to You come into those welcoming, open, loving arms to receive them into the family of God. Lord, speak to our hearts in this invitation time, I pray. Encourage us, challenge us. If anything, let us just praise you for the great God that you are to each and every one of us. Speak to us now, I pray in thy holy name. Amen.